All right. Good morning, church. It's great to be with you today. Those here and online, welcome. How has your Christmas week been so far? You don't have to shout it out, but I hopefully festive, hopefully restful, um, hopefully not chaotic, um, but one of celebration and um, really reflecting on this season. We're going to have some time today to, to look back and to look forward. Um, but I was just reminded this morning of the body of Christ, both here and connected globally. I met a couple that was visiting from very near the place that Erica and I lived in Southern California. Uh, there's another couple that's online this morning that was here last week. They were traveling from Philadelphia, and they thought our worship service was at 930, and they wanted to worship with us before they flew on a plane, um, but they couldn't stay for the 1030. So they watched us online, and they're online again. There's this connectedness with the body of Christ. No matter where you are in the world, we're connected not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is and because of what he has done in this world. And we celebrate his birth, and we're continuing in this Christmas time of celebrating who he is, his birth, and how he has changed everything. This is the very last day of 2023, so I thought it would be good for us to look backwards, but also to look forward. And so we're going to talk about flourishing in 2024. What does that look like for us? What would be some words you would use to describe flourish? Just call them out. What are some words or phrases you might use to say this is flourishing? What are some words? Peace. Peace. Yeah. Good. You've seen my sermon, Conrad. No. <laughs> what else? Life. Life. Growth. Growth. Hope. Wisdom. Wisdom. Yeah, all of these things. Some of them are already in my notes here, right? To live, to have peace, security, love, health, happiness. I think to flourish actually is what motivates, I would say, every decision we make in life. To flourish. We make decisions that we think will be good for us, will be good for our flourishing, good for our well-being, whether that's to be religious and come to church or to walk away from religion or to not be a part of religion. It's a choice to flourish, to take a new job or to stay in your current job, to live monogamously or to live promiscuously, a choice to flourish, to wage war or to make peace, to begin a relationship or to end a relationship. I think deep down in the choices that we make is a choice, what will lead to my flourishing? So it's an important topic for us to dig into, and we're not just going to dig in today. Um, over the next several months, we're going to talk about what it means to flourish with one another and what it means to flourish with God. So I want to start at the very beginning of our scriptures, Genesis 1.1. says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created, and he said that it was good. We get this original blessing about God creating humanity. And he said it was very good. That's you and I created very good. This is where the gospel starts. 
this creation in Eden, this garden, this place where God and humanity are in relationship, where we live in communion together, where we live with peace together, with shalom. God creates not idols, but image bearers. We are the bearers of his image, and we're to bring that image out into the world. He gives Humanity, its initial call in Genesis 1, 28, to flourish, to be fruitful, to multiply, to rule, to steward, to reflect God's image into the world. This call to flourish continues with Noah. God continues this call, but he says, but as for you, be fruitful and multiply, flourish in the land and multiply in it. We see Jesus reflecting this similar call in John 10.10. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, abundant life. So flourishing is God's blueprint for humanity. Our flourishing, everyone's flourishing. So what would be the opposite of that? What would be the opposite of that call? It would be to not reflect God's image into the world to not bring flourishing into his creation. All right, so flourishing. This initial call in Genesis, Jesus continues with that message. Flourishing is connected very closely to the word shalom or peace. It's the Hebrew word for peace. And peace is not just an absence of conflict. Peace is a word of well-being. Jesus talks about shalom or peace in John 14, 27. He says this, peace I leave with you. My peace or my shalom I give you. I do not give as the world gives and do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. It's at the heart of Jesus's ministry is to bring his peace. Shalom is this idea of living in harmony living in connectedness with God, with one another, with ourselves, and creation. Shalom is rooted in God, this transformative relationship that allows us to be connected with one another, that allows us to work for peace, to work towards wholeness. If you were to greet somebody with this Hebrew word shalom, it's a well-wishing for somebody. It's wishing their prosperity. It's wishing health economically, relationally, physically. When you greet somebody with this word, it's a desire to have them live in harmony and live in completeness. So this word shalom in the Old Testament is also reflected in what Jesus said in John 14, 27, this idea of peace but it's also connected to this idea of who Jesus is at the birth. We look to Isaiah 52, 7, and Isaiah is prophesying in a time of struggle for the people of Israel. And we've reflected on some of these prophecies in this Advent season, but I want to look at Isaiah 52, 7 today. It says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. We are a good news people, a gospel people who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings or good news, the same word there, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. 
this idea of proclaiming peace is saying, all is well. Your God reigns, or your God has begun to reign, because we know that not all is well in the world. We just have to look at the news to see that not everything is well yet, but that process has started. This gospel has started. Last two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Brenda spoke on peace, a Roman peace or a Christ peace. And I thought it was instructive for us to look at this again. See, there was a time of peace in the Roman world. There was a time of peace during Christ's birth. But this is not the type of peace that Jesus brings. There was oppressive taxation. It was only flourishing for those who were well-to-do or those with the power or money. Wrongs were swept under the carpet. Might was in the service of intimidation. If you were well-connected, you might experience peace. But that's not the type of peace that Jesus brings. There's a compassionate justice. There's making things right. It's flourishing not for just the elites, but for everybody from the bottom up. Wrongs are made right, and might is in the service of love, and this is how Jesus lived his life. So how has the world understood this idea of flourishing since the time of Christ? Jesus kind of lays out this template as we look on the right, but what has that looked like in the past 2,000 years? We go back to Augustine an early church father, and this is what he says, the supreme good for humans is the double love of God and neighbor. This is at the heart of flourishing from an early church father, this connection to God and neighbor. And actually, this is kind of the heart of what Jesus preaches, but also the heart of our vision, a community that loves God, that loves others, that loves doing good. We see our flourishing as connected both in our relationship to God and one another and how we live in the world itself. So we see this reflected in the early church fathers, but things move on from there. We'll fast forward to the 18th century. During the time of the Enlightenment, a time of humanism where there's no longer this necessity for God to be connected to our flourishing in the world, there's still this value, an obligation to love neighbor that hasn't been lost, but the connection to God is seen as not required to our flourishing. Miroslav Volf, a professor and theologian, um, reflects on sort of the current climate of today, where he says that flourishing consists in having an experientially satisfying life. So, so we've taken another step forward, if you will, in terms of what's required for flourishing, in terms of what people think is required. It's not so much about neighbor or connection to God, but what is your own experience? The focus is on self my well-being, my individual happiness, and perhaps my family's, but there's less concern for the broader culture or society. It's about my individual experience of flourishing, a self-focus. And I remember um, when I was younger, somebody was talking about some of the different values of, in the US, the, the, the boomer generation, right? Or Gen X, which is, I'm in the Gen X, sometimes my kids call me a boomer, uh, but I'm not a boomer. <laughs> 
And they were saying, you know, the, the boomer generation collected things, material things, and maybe that was to make their house look nice, or maybe a car, or furnishings, um, or art even. And I thought, oh, no, that's not me. But then they said, but your generation collects experiences. Those are the things you're going after. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's fairly accurate. I'm much more interested in those, and I think probably subsequent generations as well. So there's this shift that it has occurred, and it's not necessarily good or bad. Take that lens off, but see kind of this last 2,000 years, how things have transitioned. And, and I think even now we are beginning to see the tide change. I, I think there is a focus on self, but I think there's a much bigger global awareness that we have partly through social media, partly through technology. There's this idea of we've got to care for the planet together as a humanity because all of our flourishing rides on this. There's better responses to things like food scarcity or even war and politics. There's a concern, I think, globally that we're beginning to see. I think, unfortunately, the message that the church has, has given primarily in these last 2,000 years is one of this. Sacrifice now in order to flourish later. This idea that sacrifice now to enjoy heaven or new creation, as we've been talking about it later, that's when we get to have the abundant life. So now is the road of hardship of self-denial. For one day, streets of gold, right, and mansions. Now, we just finished a Revelation series, so hopefully that's not your vision of, of new creation. But it primarily sees salvation as a future event, as fire insurance, as one day getting the good life, and, and doesn't see, actually, salvation starting now, the way of Jesus now bringing abundant life the way of Jesus now transforming how we live. The message of salvation is not so much about the future event, it is about life change now. Theologian and professor Ellen Chari says it this way, salvation is growing in the wisdom of divine love and enjoying oneself in the process. That was not a message I got growing up in the church to enjoy oneself, to enjoy God's love. But we see this in Jesus, this message of abundant life. Now, it doesn't mean the way of Jesus is easy, but the way of Jesus can bring flourishing right now despite circumstances of war, of suffering. I grew up with the idea that God's will must be the hardest path. If you are looking between option A or option B, which is the hardest one? That must be God's will, right? That's the type of image I was given of God. What type of God is that, right? And if we want to emphasize certain verses in the Bible, we can do that. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus himself says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. That's biblical, and that's important. But it's not the only message that Jesus gives on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He also says in Matthew 11, 
Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Which do you tend towards? I didn't hear a lot of sermons on my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I heard a lot of sermons on taking up your cross. Now, these are two sides to the same coin. It's not one or the other. They're both a part of how we follow Jesus. And we can see when we get into the gutter on either side, right? The response to the type of faith that I grew up in was this idea of a prosperity gospel, that if you were a follower of Jesus, he was going to bring prosperity into your life. He was going to bring wealth into your life. He was going to bring health into your life. And if you weren't getting those things, then you must not be following Jesus correctly. It was all prosperity. My side was sort of all sacrifice and hardship. And maybe your theological upbringing or, or maybe cultural upbringing or maybe just personality type, you might tend towards one or the other. Both are preached by Jesus. Eat, drink, and be merry, or the hard path must be the one that's God's call. We have to wrestle with both as we think about our flourishing. Both are parts of our faith. Jesus says, you know, he has not come to, to steal like the evil one, but rather to bring life. So what I want to do um, is to spend a little bit of time today um, looking back and looking forward. Looking back at 2023, we had still in the midst of a mask mandate. We couldn't come to church some of those weeks. We had to come with masks on. We couldn't have food. Our own lives were impacted. But we look back to see how has this year gone? But you can go even further back. What are those things maybe from your childhood that are still controlling you today? If we have undealt with stuff in our past, it will control us in how we live today. It will control how we interact with others. It will control how we relate to God. A couple years ago, we went through a curriculum by Peter Scazzaro, a pastor in the U.S. He says, emotional health and spiritual maturity cannot be separated. It's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And um, we've got some books in the bookstore or in my library on this, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. This is important for how we live our lives. Has anything in the last few months emerged from you emotionally that has surprised you? Anger, anxiety, fear? Maybe how quickly it rose up? We each probably have triggers Maybe if you don't get your way or you're feeling attacked when you feel exposed. My historic way of dealing with triggers was just to ignore them, to pretend that they didn't bother me. And the problem was is they did bother me, but I was pretending that they didn't. But after about the third or fourth trigger, all of a sudden what was bottled up would come out. And that could be in circumstances I've shared many times about cars, trucks, taxis honking at me when I'm on my bike. 
The first few I can let water off a duck's back. Doesn't bother me. The fourth one, though, my anger starts to well up. It can be circumstances or it can be relationships. Maybe somebody that attacks you. Maybe that somebody that gossips about you behind your back. Maybe that somebody that harms you. How do you deal with that? Do you ignore it? Do you explode? What are the things that it's connected to in your past? See, we have to be students of our heart. We have to dig deep to see the things that are coming out of our lives are not by accident. They're already there in the heart. And when we're surprised by those things that come out, it means there's an opportunity in our lives for more self-awareness. And this draws us into community. If we're to flourish, we have to be aware of the stuff that's in there in order to deal with it. And sometimes community can help us to see the stuff that's there that we can't see ourselves. I've quoted Andy Kobler several times. She is the author of uh, Trying Softer. And she says this, when we approach our distressing emotions with curiosity and compassion, we can learn to soar. So those things that have stirred in you this year, be curious about them. Dig deeper of what it is surfacing. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, we must lay before God, Christ, what is in us, not, not what ought to be in us. To be real with God, authenticity is one of our values at community that we don't have to pretend in front of God and we don't have to pretend with one another. We can be real here. Life groups can be a great place to experience that reality, to go after some of those things that are triggering us. I know for me, going to therapy was really important with dealing with some of the stuff I grew up with in my family because it could still have a hold on you years later. Becoming a Christian doesn't undo those things. It invites us into a transformative journey. It says God loves you. Even though those things happen to you, God loves you. So I want to take a few minutes to to look back. You were given uh, papers on your seats. If you need a pen, the ushers will bring those around. Um, Jandy is going to play instrumentally during this time. And these are some of the questions that I would invite you to ponder as we near the end uh, of 2023. What is the biggest risk that you took this year? When were you most triggered? When did your emotions come out in a way that surprised you? When did you feel most connected to God? What is the most important thing you did for others this year? Who are three people that influenced you the most? These are just starter questions for you. You might have other things on your mind, but take some time of stillness. We don't often get a lot of stillness in our lives. So we want to create some of that space for you now. Reflect on these questions or questions that might emerge from this time as you look back over the past year. Let's take a couple of minutes to do that now.
this time really um, is meant to be an encouragement to spend some more time with this today, tomorrow, the coming week, as you look back on this past year, or maybe you look back all the way to your childhood and you realize there's things that I need to, to deal with. Um, there's things that I can celebrate, but there's also things that um, I need to really reflect on. Um, as I was thinking through, when was I most connected? I had two different answers. One was really middle of the night. You know, last week I talked about prayer is something we get to do. And when I wake up troubled, it's an opportunity to pray, to lift that up for God. Um, so have some time to reflect um, on this further. But now I want to I look ahead. And I was reminded by a quote by Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen um, uses this beautiful metaphor of the trapeze artist who swings in the air and is caught by the person on the other side. And he talks about Jesus being that person that catches us so we can take risks. This is how he says it. I can only fly freely when I know there is a catcher to catch me. If we are to take risks to be free in the air in life, we have to know there's a catcher. We have to know that when we come down from it all, we're going to be caught. We're going to be safe. The great hero is the least visible. Trust the catcher. Avoiding failure is not the goal for 2024. It's to lead into God's flourishing for you, no matter what your circumstances might look like in the coming year. And so some questions for reflection. We'll go into another time of reflection. And these are, again, some questions that might kick off for you some ways to reflect. What will you be curious about this year? How can you increase your self-awareness? Maybe that's being in a life group. Maybe that's talking with a close friend, right, to invite them to speak in. Where would you like to grow in your faith? When will you be the bravest? How will you celebrate wins? Let's take a few more minutes to reflect.
God, we thank you that you are present with us right here in this moment. And oftentimes, we can be held back by the past, or we can be worried about the future, and to not be present with you in this very moment. You meet us in the present, God, and so I pray as we come to this table, may your presentness, may your incarnation, may this bread and this cup be reminders to us that you are present with us right now, December 31st, 2023, in this space, for those online in your space, that you are present. In your name, amen.